Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today, we have Linda Richardson, founder of Richardson, a global sales training company. A frequent guest speaker at industry and company conferences, she is a recognized leader in the sales industry. Linda is credited with creating the movement to consultative selling. She teaches sales and management courses at the Wharton Graduate School of the University of Pennsylvania and the Wharton Executive Development Center. Linda joins us today to share insights from her book, Changing the Sales Conversation, Connect, Collaborate, and Close. It looked at how sales professionals can create better, more effective conversations in today's hyper-digital world. Linda, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jim. Delighted to be here. Linda, the title of your book, Changing the Sales Conversation, reminds me of a quote from Susan Scott, who wrote the book, Fierce Conversations, where she says, the relationship is the conversation. So to what level are you having a conversation? And I thought, boy, that really applies to sales. So, Linda, I'm just kind of curious if the relationship is the conversation and the conversation has been changing, what's the change that you're talking about? That's really a terrific quote. I wasn't familiar with the the exact quote. I I love it. Um, The conversation change that I'm talking about, technology, the Internet specifically, has changed how buyers buy. And because buyers are buying differently, salespeople have to sell differently. And the challenge, the mystery is, well, what does that mean? What do they have to do to be effective with this new buyer? And it is truly a new buyer. This is a buyer that's online. This is a buyer that is talking to peers. Uh, This is a buyer that is highly educated, very demanding, looking for commodity pricing, risk-averse because of what's happened in the economy. These are really dramatic changes. And the buyer that is going online learning about their needs, talking to their peers, and don't even want to get to a salesperson until maybe they're halfway through their own buying process. So it's a very dramatically different world. So what does the salesperson have to do? And in changing the sales conversation, I've come up with five strategies. And getting back to your quote, which is just a beautiful quote, one of the strategies, the final one is something I call linking. And linking is about connecting emotionally with the client. And if a client doesn't trust you, that, you're not going to change the status quo. You're, they're not going to buy from you. So the idea that the conversation is the relationship, there's so much more to it today you know, because of clients, because they are so uh, knowledgeable and because they have so many choices. But the, one of the essential ingredients of the five things that I talk about is this linking, this connecting emotionally. You know, we know salespeople sell with drive. We know that. You know, they kind of have the heart of the lion. They're going to go out there and and get that business. But they also need the heart of the teacher, and they need to sell with heart. Uh, And that's really how we can differentiate in this market where everything is moving so fast and competitors really can are almost equally matched. So, yes, I think the conversation is the relationship, but – 
with that, you just can't have the relationship. You really have to be able to perform for the client, and that's where the other four strategies that I bring up in changing the sales conversation, those four strategies come into play. It's very important. Linda, I started selling when consultative selling really began to take hold. The methodology that you introduced had really started to work into the sales profession. And I read a lot lately about new sales approaches and new uh, sales methodologies and new ways to approach buyers. And I read all those books, and I still walk away going, well, it's really kind of consultative selling and it's just saying a different way. And my question is, has consultative selling gone by the wayside? Or is the fundamental basics of having a good conversation with your customer or your prospect, whereby you're trying to figure out what's going on, still relevant today? Well, consultative selling is still relevant, highly, highly relevant. The point of changing the sales conversation is what we did in consultative selling no longer is sufficient. That's table stakes. That's the foundation. You need to have all of those skills and planning strategies. But if you just count on that today, you'll fail because the stakes are higher. That buyer is different. So how does consultative selling evolve? And that's really what I'm doing in the book. I'm taking consultative selling, and it's like twerking it up. Uh, And that's what these five strategies that I talk about do. Each one builds on consultative selling. It doesn't dissolve it. It, No, it's not out the window. It is as relevant as ever, but it doesn't go far enough. And now we have to take it and let it equal the level of preparation and sophistication and demand of the client. All right. So what I hear you saying is, again, use my own sales experience. There was a time if you were, quote, unquote, a consultative salesperson, you were at the top end of your game in terms of skills and ability. What I hear you saying is we got to start with consultative and take it the next level up. Some people aren't even at the consultative level yet. For those people, what's going on in their sales world? I mean, if you have a master consultative selling, you, you must really be behind today. Well, there, that's, that's absolutely correct. And I think most salespeople today, I think it's taken a very, very long time. But consultative selling has been around. I actually introduced it in the late 70s is when I first used the term. And I think most salespeople have the idea that they have to focus on needs and they have to bring customized solutions. And those who don't even do that really are behind the eight ball. Uh, because they need those fundamental skills of probing and listening and resolving objections and planning for the call, building rapport. They need all of those uh, fundamental skills, how to close. But with that said, I think most salespeople are there. And I can give you an example. One of the five strategies that I talk about is something called heat mapping. And usually my writing is known for being very clear, very plain. I speak clear English, but I specifically in this book used words uh, for each new thing that are not so obvious in their meaning, just to underscore that this is really different. And I use one called heat mapping, and that's really the need dialogue. How do you ask questions? You know, and there's different levels of being consultative, but most salespeople know they have to go in and ask some questions. In the past, you could go in, do a little bit of homework, do significant homework, and then ask discovery questions. Today, clients have no tolerance for that. They're ahead of it. So what happens to those discovery questions? 
it's a dilemma. Clients want you to come in and show you know their world, you know their business, yet there's information, no matter how much research you do, you have to get from them. So the new model for having that need dialogue is something I call heat mapping. And when you heat map something, you raise the visibility. So if you look at a political map and you see the red and the blue, the Republicans and the Democrats, right away you quickly can see what's going on in the election. So if you heat map something, you raise the visibility. So the new questioning is you bring in an insight. You bring in some information. You almost teach quick, you know, Put an idea out there from all that homework that you've done, which is greater than you've ever done in the past, and you have the tools to do it today. And then you get the client's feedback on that concept that you put forward. And then you can move in with very intelligent, insight-led, informed questions about the business. So the demands on having that need dialogue are much greater. So, Linda, does heat mapping replace what we used to call and the step in the sales process, the discovery stage? Yes. It, 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 there's okay. discovery in it. There's discovery in it. The discovery is not the conversation starter anymore. You've got, got to it. show that you've, you've had an insight, an idea, something that you can bring to that client. Because the first strategy I give is called futuring, which is this intense, and I show people how to prepare in a very different way so they know the industry, the company, the client. All that pays off when you get to have that conversation because you really show you know the client's world. Linda, is heat mapping an acronym for something? Uh, Why did you give it the title heat mapping? I call it heat mapping because you turn the heat up on the dialogue. You get the client to think, hmm, about the status quo because that insight you bring is relevant to a challenge that all your homework tells you you think that client or that industry is having. So you put forth that idea, you know, the price of, uh, you know, paper for a particular company, you know, is rising and we're seeing with our clients such and such and such, you know, what are you finding? Then the client shares that information. So you've raised the visibility of that issue and gotten the client interested because you're talking about a business issue. In the past, salespeople could differentiate by bringing, you know, that better product, that product superiority. But today, the key is to deal with business issues and focus on business outcomes. So there has been such a shift in what salespeople have to talk about. You know, the old features and benefits, for example, they have given way to risk and reward, product to business challenges, solutions to outcomes, discovery questions to insight-led questions price to proof of value. So there's been this shift, and it's all to have business conversations. And that's what I'm trying to say in this book. You have your, and I do have, you know, obviously the consultative skills are the basis, but now if you have even the most fundamental consultative skills, what do you now do to raise the level of your conversation? So you're having a business conversation and you talk about business outcomes. So even when you get to the solution, Again, it's not the product superiority, it's the business outcome. It's the uh, how are you mitigating risk? How are you getting consensus because there's more than one buyer in a complex sale? So what you're saying is when you initially are walking in, you better bring some insight with you. Exactly right. And in the book, most people don't really even know what an insight is. So I really cover what is an insight? How do you use an insight? Where do you develop insight? And then a model, how do you position it 
So you're not going in arrogantly telling the client their business, but you're really going in collaboratively, that you bring an idea and then you immediately get the client's perception of that and then you work together on it. So it's a shift for salespeople, and I try to break it out in very specific, clear steps so that salespeople can feel comfortable. Our guest is Linda Richardson, and we're talking about her book, Changing the Sales Conversation. In addition to Linda sharing her expertise on selling, you can find other experts that have shared their wisdom with us here on BizTalk. Those are available on podcasts on our website and cover business topics in the areas of recruiting, leadership, marketing, performance management, sales and sales management, and, of course, personal development. You can download those podcasts from our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. Linda, before we took the break, you were talking about how a salesperson needs to bring insights into their meeting with their clients. And I can remember the day when I first started my sales career to get those insights required me to go to the library. Today, to gain business insights, it's really only a click away. Absolutely. You know, I did a, a seminar where I had the participants, before they were going into a meeting, I gave them a client situation. They were allowed to use their phones, and they had three minutes, and they had to bring in an insight. And they were all writing down each other's insights. It was fantastic. They were getting such data, and they were just so amazed how quickly they could get this information. But with that said, marketing departments really have to step up to the plate And that is really a job that they have to provide industry information and to provide insights on the different issues in industries and and companies to the sales force. So the sales leadership has to really call on marketing to uh, step up its game. Oh, boy. Can we get an amen there? Amen. It's funny you mention that. I was um, working with a client the other day. They have a promotion fourth quarter and... I said, okay, let's think about what's going on in your client's world. Let's think about what they're reacting to. And let's think about what we'd want to say if we're going to call them. And I kind of rolled my eyes and I said, and we're going to have to come up with this because your marketing department isn't going to do it. They're, they're going to be great at putting out a product promo. And it's like, you know, if the clients really needed product promos, they wouldn't need the Internet. I mean, it's just a little frustrating. That's a whole other program for a whole other day. But uh I want to reiterate there's a huge disconnect today between the marketing department supporting sales. It's always been kissing cousins, but today they have to be more married at the hip. So I hope our our audience, in terms of the leaders out there, recognize the marketing departments really today are not doing a good job of supporting their sales department because of what you're talking about, Linda. You know, the sales world has changed, so has the marketing world, so... Absolutely. And if you ask a salesperson to do all or develop all of their own insights, the other tragedy is that the insights exist in the organization, but no one's collecting them. They're doing something for X client, but then there's no source where they could go for that problem and situation and then appropriate it for another client. So there really needs to be knowledge sharing, and they must collect a success story. One of the things I call value tracking, where it's when you really bring your solution to the client, one of the elements in the new value tracking and the new solution is you must have a success story. You must have a success story. Uh, that Nothing is more persuasive to a client, yet very few salespeople go in with a prepared success story and really know where to put it in and how to use it and how to leverage it. And the marketing department needs to collect them and make them available. 
you mentioned that building on consultative selling, you've added five elements. We've talked about heat mapping and futuring. The other three are what? Okay, so uh, the first is futuring, and that is this, you know, hyper-preparation using, as you said, the wonderful tools that are out there, and I list all the apps that I like and all the things I think they can do and how they can get that information. And then that absolutely pays off at heat mapping where you go in and you're really intelligent in the dialogue that you're having and understanding needs, and but giving. It's a give and take. It's a teach and learn model. Um, and then value tracking, and that's the solution. And, again, it's not in terms of product superiority. It's in terms of outcomes. Start with the outcome in mind and make sure there's a success story in there. There has to be metrics and proof of value. Uh, there has to be something that shows how to mitigate risk or at least make risk acceptable. Uh, and then the uh, fourth one is uh, phasing. And phasing is, again, this is something for sales leadership. Uh, best-in-class companies have a defined sales process. And if we could give salespeople a defined sales process, we can really not only help them but help the managers. So you say to salespeople, when you're in this phase, these are the best practices. These are the kinds of things you should be doing. And then the coach has to coach to those things. So you're really helping the coach. So in that chapter, in the chapter on uh, phasing, it's all about the sales process. And I give an example. Probably there are six phases in most sales processes. And then under each, I show the objective and the examples of best practices, best practice activities. What are the models? For instance, where does the insight model come in? Where does the uh, negotiation model come in? And then uh, it's what action step Um, What tools does the organization offer that they can use in that stage? And then finally, what must the client do in that stage that signals you really can move to the next stage? Because very often salespeople think they're closing, and they're they're not. And then, of course, they're missing their quarter. Um, Forecasting is off. So this phasing is really, really important. And I also give coaching questions for every phase so that a salesperson can ask him or herself those questions. You know, in phase one, why does this client qualify? Phase two, example, what is the business challenge here? And so forth. And there's a good list of questions for each. And then so we have future heat mapping, value tracking, phasing. And then the final one is linking. And that's the one I talked about at the beginning you know, how do you connect to the clients emotionally? How do you make sure you have a relationship of trust in a world where trust is declining? People are very skeptical. What are some things that salespeople can do to really make that bond? You know, I talk about things like giving first, be the first one to give, how to brand themselves. All of us, when a client thinks of us, they think of one thing. Obviously, we're multiple things. We're, we have many dimensions. But In general, there's that one thing you think about when you think about a salesperson. Uh, Is this the creative one? Is this the financial one? Is this the person, go-to person? So the salesperson has to think, how do I want to be perceived? And then how do I create that brand so that, you know, the the power of brand is that oneness? Uh, How do they share about themselves? How do they ask for feedback? So they are the, the strategies that I put together. Listening to you uh, go through these phases, and as you explain them, they really make sense. Probably our top producers are 
doing what you're talking about. These probably don't have the labels centered around that. So thanks for that roadmap. But I'm also wondering about our sales leaders out there who are listening to this and they're saying, uh, wow, that that's great, uh, but uh, hey, uh, we're behind quota and my salespeople aren't doing enough activity and uh, we're quite not quite effective at uh, closing down the deals we have in our pipeline. Uh, so is there a disconnect between what man, sales management's expect in terms of activity levels or approaches with, from their sales team and what you're talking about? Because listening to you, I, I get the impression that the prep time is uh, is a little bit longer before you just you know, grab your briefcase and head out the door. Well, you know, that's a, a good question, and I think there are a couple of parts to it. Actually, I think the prep time isn't longer because of the tools they have today. Really, in a half hour, you can be amazingly prepared for a meeting, and particularly if the organization can put some systems in place to support you. And if there's knowledge sharing and you can save salespeople waste so much time searching and looking for things. So I think that you're not dramatically expanding prep time. And the truth of the matter is the more time you spend at the beginning, the more quickly you will close. You know, I see so many sales managers when you find out, well, where are they coaching? They're coaching at the end of the deal. You know what? It's usually too late at the end of the deal where they come in and trying to take over the sale or try to save the sale or try to help. The coaching needs to be all the way through. Uh, You have to make sure that client is really qualified. Are your salespeople working on the deals? You know, after the first meeting and you sit down with the the salesperson, you just ask, what's the business challenge? What are the time frames? You know, who's going to sign this? What's the compelling event that's happening here? You can tell how a salesperson answers, A, did they have a good meeting? And B, begin to get insight into whether or not this is actually a viable opportunity and where to put their, their time. So you know, I, to me, there is nothing more important than the role of the sales manager. The sales manager is the key to all of this. And if the sales manager can coach, and most of them really want to do a good coaching job, so few get, even get coaching training, and they don't have a, a defined sales process. So it's hit or miss what they're coaching to. So I think a lot of organizations, when I work with a client, the first thing I want to know is tell me about your sales process. And usually we can put a sales process together that is a great start in, in, in a couple of weeks. You know, the information is in the organization. It just hasn't been pooled. Our guest is Linda Richardson. We're talking about a book, Changing the Sales Conversation podcast of not only this program but previous programs are available on our website biztalkradioshow.com that's b-i-z talkradioshow.com linda let's talk for a second about technology especially as it relates to connecting with your customers and prospects on one hand salespeople will tell you that technology has enabled them to connect a much faster and more effective way and at the same time they'll tell you that it also gives their customers and prospects an avenue to hide. Yes, it, it certainly is a two-edged sword. And I think salespeople have to really learn how to use multiple avenues to get to a client. I certainly, I still think there's room certainly for the voicemail, and that should be supplemented with the email, the follow-up. Certainly they can learn more about their clients to get insight, going to LinkedIn, to Google, There are so many resources out there to use 
on balance, technology is a tremendous asset to salespeople. And I think another thing that we're seeing more and more of are online presentations, especially if a company is global or national and they can't bring everybody together. So I think that's a whole other bailiwick for salespeople to become proficient so that they're not just doing a slideshow, but they learn how to make that interactive. Linda, the biggest misperception about selling today is what? I think I'm going to go back to your quote, that relationship doesn't have the role that it plays. You know, we see all the technology and all of the knowledge and insights, and all of it is important. But the relationship is very, very important. And there are some methodologies out there that have underplayed that and actually show that the relationship seller, but they define the relationship seller is just somebody that goes to lunch and pats you on the back. That's ridiculous. That went out with in the, probably in the 70s. That's long gone. The relationship is extremely important. And sometimes it's back to your question before this. It's easy to hide behind technology. You know, you'll send the email rather than try to talk to the person. So I think we have to still realize that we're human beings and we need to trust and we need to connect. I told a salesperson the other day, I said, Amazing things happen when you get out in the field. Get out in the field. I said, you can't build relationships with uh, with computer clicks. And we forget that. At the end of the day, we're still human, and we still want to connect with people. Right. Biggest disconnect with the leadership in terms of their understanding of how to be effective at sales today is what? Sales coaching. There is truly a need for organizations to implement sales coaching, uh, to create coaching cultures. A lot of talk is given to it. Managers often are not rewarded for it. They're given too many people. Some of them actually carry a bag themselves. And I'm not putting any of that down because in every company, every company is different and has different needs, but salespeople need to be coached. And if we could solve the coaching problem, and that to me is one of the remaining big, big issues uh, that is a tremendous disconnect to have lower turnover, a better forecasting, higher productivity. And, and why is that? I mean, it's so evident if you watch almost any other high-performance activity, such as acting has a coach, sports, whether you know it's Tiger Woods has a coach, football teams have a coach. You know, you look at almost every other profession, and coaching is extremely valued, Right. Absolutely. So there is evidence that players involved in high-performance activities like selling require coaching, yet there still is that disconnect with our leadership that providing coaching is a way of growing the sales organization. In your opinion, Linda, why is that? I think it starts really with senior leadership, where they, they are not providing coaching training and making coaching something that they track. You can ask for where a salesperson, where was, where was your sales force? They can go to that CRM, find out where everyone is at every second. They have no clue what the sales managers are doing. It goes even beyond that. The pool that most sales managers come from are sellers. They're not social workers. They're not teachers. They're not people given, for the most part, to coaching. They want to, they're doers. They're not developers of others. I'm not criticizing that. I think it's great to have the expertise. I would prefer that. 
but then you have to take those people and really help them understand that their role has changed. And most, many sales managers are actually closing for their people rather than developing their people. Defensive sales managers, they're not getting the training, and they're uncomfortable giving feedback. People are very uncomfortable. Are they going to lose their best performer? People won't like them. You know, it's not in their DNA, and on and on, all of these excuses. So we really have to take a hard look at we promote someone to become a sales manager. What are we going to do to get them across that enormous distance from sales management, from seller to sales manager? It is a huge change, and uh, sales managers need support in that change. Most of them have never been coached themselves. Nobody's coaching them. They don't know what to coach. So you put that combination, little wonder they don't coach. I was talking to a salesperson the other day. He made a funny comment. He said, you know, in your book you talk about coaching by telling or coaching by questioning. He said, well, how about coaching by pinging? and explained that they had this one manager that just pings everybody. So he gave an example when the salesperson said, you know, this month I had eight uh, new customers. I'm really excited about that, and I think next month's going to be better. The sales manager answered, okay, but last month was four. Imagine starting a coaching session like that. Not too inspiring. <laughs> Not too inspiring, right? And, yeah. uh but the most hysterical thing about this is this guy just thinks he's a fabulous coach, doesn't need coaching training, doesn't need any help. So, you know, the problem is it runs very deep. This is a deep problem. When I work with a client, I like to do coaching the co- coach training so that the sales leaders know what they're supposed to be doing and asking, you know, how many, tell me about the last call you went on. What are you seeing out in the field with your people? And the other key to all of this When I taught a class at Wharton the first time I did this about four years ago, I gave them the coaching questions for each part of the sales process that I mentioned earlier, and they were thrilled. People were saying, you know, now I know what to do. I actually can ask these questions, and they're very objective. And either the person wrote that summary of needs to the client and got feedback, or he or she didn't in phase three. And it became much easier for them to execute on coaching. So yeah. it's a complex, deep issue, but you're not going to have a high-performing sales force until it's fixed. Uh, not today. There may have been yeah. a time. Yes, good point. Going into the 2008 recession, working through that recession, coming down on the back end, Linda, as companies went through that, what do you think the impact to them has been? Oh, certainly there's been you know, multiple, multiple things have been impacted by the economy, you know, the, the clients have changed. I think uh, the sales organizations really got sh- uh, shaken up. In that shakeup, I think a lot of the people, salespeople that really weren't performing were let go. I think a lot of organizations were left with salespeople that were, you know, the, at, at the top performers in the organization. Um, so I think in a sense that was good. I think a lot of organizations cut back on training, cut back on development, but I think most, you know, kind of protective steps to survive. Linda, you're in the sales training industry. So what are you seeing as the trends right now and what are companies doing as it relates to developing their people? You know, I'm not exactly sure what the numbers are, but I think they've been pretty steady uh, the data on how much money is spent on training 
I often question the data because they really don't break it out. They do break out what was provided internally and what is provided through external training companies. But I think a lot of organizations are back in the saddle now. They are training their people. They're really looking to develop their people. So I think organizations are are really struggling and doing everything that they can do. And I think sales leadership doesn't really appreciate the importance of the frontline manager. I think if they would work on them, they can almost cut their costs, their training costs, and accomplish more. Absolutely. So, Linda, you're with the president of a company today. Uh, The one piece of advice you're giving them is what? Well, the first thing I would ask about would be the sales process and then the sales management and sales leadership to coach to that process. I think they'd be the, the two things that I could add value, bring the most value to an organization that wanted to improve uh, its sales performance. They, if I think if we could do those two things, I would be you know, really feeling that I made a major contribution. You've been doing this for some time. As you look going into uh, the future, what has Linda the most excited? What has me the most excited? I think the uh, potential, the true potential Uh, for online learning. Uh, I think that there is so much that we haven't accomplished yet. And I think there, if with creativity, we can make training. There's so many smaller companies that really can't afford to go out and develop a big customized training program. And I think if we can find ways to create high impact programs, I'm very excited about, and I, I know there's a lot of debate around it, but on the Coursera programs that are coming out, I just think there's, with technology, we're going to be able to achieve a learning environment that was never really possible before. And I don't think we're anywhere near that, anywhere at all. But I'm very, very excited about the potential for online. Our guest is Linda Richardson. We've been talking about her book, Changing the Sales Conversation. Linda, thanks for being on the program. Thank you, Jim. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, BizTalkRadioShow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.